said her words, I seldom heard With such dignity and bite All the poets and the part-time singers Always hang inside Live music from a band plays a song called Soul Sacrificide Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I'm your host, Roy Turner. Welcome to a special uh, episode of Tricky Kid Radio. If you tuned in last week, uh, or if you've even turned on your TV set or your radio, you know that uh, Prince has passed away. And uh, we did a special two-hour tribute last week um, in his honor and his memory uh, to honor his legacy and uh, played a bunch of great songs, uh, maybe a lot of songs you hadn't heard before. And we're going to just pick up where we left off because uh, from that last week. Again, joining me this week is Nicole Lamons. Nikki. A.K.A. <laughs> Your sister, Nikki. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I couldn't, again, I couldn't tell this story without you. I wouldn't want to tell this story without you. It's our story. Um, yes, we're going to be talking about Prince and his legacy and playing, again, playing you a bunch of great music and telling a bunch of great stories. But uh, to honor his legacy, we wanted to tell our story. Um and that's what we're here doing. Uh, her and I grew up uh, massive, massive Prince fans. And so, uh, again, like I said, last week, we uh, big, big, big news this week also is that we found out that the revolution is actually going to reform to do some shows, which is crazy. Because if anybody remembers, of course, Prince in the 80s, um, the revolution were uh, probably his most visible, most prominent um, collaborators with Wendy and Lisa uh, you know, Brown Mark, Dr. Fink, uh, I don't want to leave anybody out, uh, Alan Leeds on saxophone, uh, but they had announced that they're going to be doing a, uh, some, some, some shows to kind of honor uh, what's happened. I remember that they actually did a reunion about three years ago, and it was the first time, and I think it was to honor them being like, a, like a, some kind of milestone, like 25 or 30 years. And, and of course, they were at First Avenue in Minneapolis. And I remember like hearing about it like the, the morning of, and I was like, oh my God. And the set list was bananas. It was all the, the stuff you'd want them to play from that era. So uh, so look for that for the revolution to be um, on tour. And I said sometime in the fall. One other thing that I, I really want to talk about that I really absolutely can't believe, and you would know this as, a, as, as any Prince fan would know, that about the vault. You've heard about it your entire life. You've heard of that, you know, he has all this music that's never been released that he's recorded that he couldn't get the record label to, to put out fast enough. And so his engineer would just kind of stockpile all these cassettes and you've heard about it. You know, what's in it? Does it really exist? There's been documentaries pontificating about it, everything. Uh, and what I'd heard on the news was that they actually discovered it. It was underneath his studio that is compound there in, in Paisley Park, and they actually opened it. Um, they didn't show any pictures. The only pictures that I saw were some some outside pictures, but it looked like what you would think, like what you've pictured since you were a kid if you're a Prince fan, like giant bank door with the you know the big wheel and all that stuff, and like a safe cracker type kind of thing. And they had to drill it open because he was the only one that had the code. And according to, to what they found, there's just shelves and shelves and shelves of because one of the things you think about when an artist dies is, oh, my gosh, about all the music that, you know, that, that they could have made that they will no longer have the chance to do. And 
And it's like he wasn't even thinking about in terms of years or decades. It's like he was thinking about in terms of like centuries. His early estimates say that he could, you could basically could release a new Prince album uh, for the pretty much one a year for the next century, and there would still be stuff left over. But the oddest thing is that all that is over. All that thinking and wondering. I mean, we still have to find out what was in it, but it's just it's just so strange that in my lifetime that the vault had been discovered by, by somebody other than him and his engineer and somebody else is going through it. Somebody else is going to make that decision. I remember him saying a few things before on some talk shows where he was like, you know, maybe I won't get a chance to release it. You know, meaning of course that, you know, his music would outlive him, but it's just, it's just so strange to think and, and it kind of in a tragic sense that, that all of that is now over. Uh, we honored. Uh, I know that there's, you know, there's a lot of eulogies and a lot of tributes out there, as they should be, and it's obviously more than deserving. And what we want to do is, uh, as you heard at the beginning of the show, this wasn't it wasn't my normal intro song. I, it actually was a, a song we'll talk about here in a second. But uh, uh, you know, there's, again, there's a lot of eulogies and a lot of tributes. Um, but here's the deal is, is that we don't want to add to the circus. We don't want this. I know a lot of people, anytime something like this happens, people try to get a piece of it. And what we want to do is, is we just want to celebrate his legacy and talk about our experiences. And we want, we would invite you guys to join us and we're going to play you some good music. Uh, some of the eulogies and some of the tributes that um, I've seen in this past week, we got to talk about D'Angelo. Yes. Uh, okay. Because, uh, again, there's a million of them out there, and it all seems like that they only know one song. Again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not dissing anybody. Like Springsteen did "Purple Rain," or Aretha right. Franklin did "Purple Rain." There's a lot Rain. of "Purple Rains" out a there. A lot right of "Purple now, Rain," yeah. right? And that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and they're all really good too. A yeah. lot of them, yeah. And it all comes from a great place. Uh huh. But D'Angelo being on Jimmy Fallon again, band leader Questlove from the in the Roots crew, mm-hmm. uh, a known Prince historian gets on the piano and does sometimes it snows in April. Yeah, it was awesome. And Maya Rudolph is singing back up, which I yes. don't know why she was there, but she did an excellent job. She did. An excellent job. And she was the one that was doing the Prince skits on the Prince tribute. Whenever they had the skit, she okay. was singing the intro and she was pretending to be Beyonce and, and was Prince's <laughs> right. sidekick. But she could really sing. And yes. you really noticed that in those skits. Yes. And we were just, my sister and I were just talking about how she can really sing. And then all of a sudden now she's on D'Angelo singing that backup. And yeah. so, yeah. So. so perfect. Because again, because I, I still haven't seen the Saturday Night Live one yet. You do need to watch that. I will. I will. I am going to watch it. I had, you know, you and I were a bit different in that, that I've had a hard time watching any of it because it's just been very painful. You right. Know? And, and I've watched everything. And, and not because it's any less painful. Again, people just, you know, grieve in, in, in different ways. Uh, but I, I wanted to mention a few other different things because, again, I had to watch the D'Angelo one. Again, because he was doing Sometimes It Snows in April from my favorite album, Under the Cherry right. Moon Parade. And I know I say it a lot, but it's one of my favorite songs. I guess yeah. I have a lot of favorites. But. Right, sure. But, I mean, but again, like I said, it's also, you know, it was also something different. It wasn't Purple Rain. It was kind of an obscure track that maybe some people don't even know. Uh, uh, some of the other ones was uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, the comedian, did like a four-hour impromptu. Oh, wow. I, I haven't, I haven't seen it either. I was reading about it. He did like a four-hour. Actually, I heard a little bit of it. He did like a, this this long marathon, you know, comedy show that was basically a tribute to Prince. You know, you you see like how what Spike Lee did in Brooklyn. How people yeah, just feel like they need that. they need to do something. You know, and uh, again, like, like I I was mentioning that you know we left off with the last episode, last tribute, 
at the 80s. So we're going to start this one with the 90s. And so that means we're going to be starting with, again, Graffiti Bridge. And the, the love interest uh, in Graffiti Bridge. Now, we you know, again, no competition with all the the prince, um, you know, female protégés and, and girlfriends and not all that throughout the years. Like we talked about, obviously, Vanity, who unfortunately also passed away earlier this year. And and uh, you know, we played a Jill Jones track, remember, and uh, last last week. And, you know, there's been a, a bunch. But uh, I love Ingrid Chavez, who plays the, the love interest in Graffiti Bridge. Right, beautiful I, girl. Yeah. yeah, I love her. I love everything about her. Uh, the real deal. She was a poet. Um, a lot of people maybe not know this, but she wrote Justify My Love. Right. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, and her and Lenny, it was a poem that she had written. And then she had written it, the music part with Lenny Kravitz, who was her writing partner at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, obviously, it, it, you know, their publishing company, it, that song wound up in the hands, of course, Madonna. Right. Who kind of took it to the stratosphere there. Uh, but she was a virtual unknown in, in 1990 when Graffiti Bridge uh, came out. And she's kind of at the end of this thing on Love Sexy, where I think he, where he reads one of her poems. Um, but anyway, she had this great, fantastic uh, eulogy that I'd like to go ahead and, and read to you real, right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, again, like I said, you know, she's such a, an, a she brings elegance and class to this day and everything that she does. Uh, this is from Ingrid Chavez. She says, it's a sad, rainy day here. I'm shocked at the sudden passing of Prince. It doesn't seem real. I don't know what my life would have been like if he had not come into it. I was blessed to have had the opportunity to spend time with him. I made him pancakes and he laughed and thought I was crazy for putting peanut butter on mine. He taught me to pour the peanut M&Ms into the bag of popcorns at the cinema and something I still do to this day. I've only eaten escargot once in my life and it was with him. We played endless rounds of pool and ran around Paisley Park like kids. For my 24th birthday, Prince bought me every one of Joni Mitchell's albums on cassette, by the way. <laughs> uh, if we had not met, there would have been no Love Sexy album and no May 19th, 1992 album, which I'll, I'll mention here in a second. I would not have met Lenny Kravitz and written Justify My Love, and there would have been no European publicity tour for me to promote my role in Graffiti Bridge and my soon-to-be-released to album. It was on that tour that I met a journalist in Paris who asked me who I most wanted to work with, and I said David Sylvain. The journalist who helped me make a connection with David, who I later married and had two beautiful daughters with. I have had a wonderfully blessed life, and I will be eternally grateful to Prince, who saw the potential in this ambitious young single mom with a dream. I wish you heaven. It's all just one long dream. Ingrid. Oh, wow. Very, very touching. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, so maybe now all of you naysayers about Graffiti Bridge will go back <laughs> and revisit it and see how amazing Ingrid Chavez is. Uh, and so that's actually, uh, again, where we're going to start. Like she was talking about when in the poem, I think, called May 19th, 1992. So for all of my uh, Prince knowledge, and I've got all these crazy songs, that is the one album that I do not own, and I don't have it. Yeah, I don't even know anything about it. Okay, it, it didn't come out in on May 19, 1992, and I'm not, I'm still not sure that I know the significance of that date. Mm-hmm. I think it came out in like 90 or 91. I think it came out in 91. I don't want to guess here. Y'all should look it up and, and tweet at me about it. Uh, but it's, it was, you have to understand that, that uh, Warner Brothers gave 
prints, his own little imprint called Paisley Park Records. So he could have all these little projects because he wanted to put out so much music. Right. And so, and as a big of a fan as I, you know, but I was, you know, I was still in middle school when Graffiti Bridge had come out. And, uh, and so for me, uh, you know, it was kind of like, I never got my hands on it. You know, it went out of print pretty quickly. I've heard a couple of songs, but I don't own it. I've only seen it one time at a, at a, one of these like, you know, flea market kind of record trading type where I've gotten a lot of my stuff. And remember those long CD boxes, yes. those non biodegradable, whatever uh-huh. the guy had yeah. one. And I think that he wanted like a lot of money for it. I think he wanted something like, I don't know, like maybe like 80 bucks for it. And I really, and there's one time I've ever seen it. And I was like, well, I'm not going to spend $80 and, now, and I've, and I have never seen it again. And I really wish that I had it regardless, yeah. you know? So, um, Okay, so anyway, so uh, anybody wants to send me a copy of Ingrid Chavez's <laughs> album, we'd be glad to, to, you know, we do accept uh, 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 gifts in music form. Okay, anyway, so moving on. So Graffiti Bridge, again, you know, we talk about how it takes uh, a total beating. Well, I think here's something else that you may not have known. On his legacy, we did this awesome two-hour episode, but what we found out was we had so much to go over, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, okay. so much more. Uh, to go over that we decided to do it in two parts. So where we left, left off was with the 80s. Uh, we thought that would be a good stopping point. Uh, you know, that's his most commercially successful time. You know, a lot of people, you know, point to that. You know, when they think of Prince, they think, of course, the 80s and, you know, Purple right. Rain and everything else. But uh, we're here to tell you. There's something else. The 90s and beyond. And beyond, yeah. That's right. Uh, again, you know, and that's cool. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, for them, the story kind of, you know, ended or or they might have, you know, because I guess maybe, you know, people associate his legacy with their youth and maybe they grew up right. in the 80s and uh, things happen, you know, when he wasn't as commercially or, uh, you yeah, know, visible and viable. So I mean, it's, it's forgivable, but... We would like to remind you or even uh, prompt you or even to turn you on to something because, again, it did not end in the 80s. He uh, did so many much more amazing things mm-hmm. up until really till uh, the very end. Um, what it, so what we're going to start here with this is it starting in 1990, okay, uh, was actually the sequel to Purple Rain. A lot of people don't know out there that there was a sequel to Purple Rain called Graffiti Bridge. Right. What are your memories of Graffiti Bridge? Well, you know, I was so into Purple Rain at the time because that was the big album and sure, all sure. Of that. And just right. coming off of that, what's going to come next? And, and, you know, so then Graffiti Bridge comes out. Six and, years later, though. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But that's the one that had the movie. That's right. right yeah. That's right. It was also. So that's my biggest. I guess, memory of Graffiti Bridge is the movie that goes with it. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And that's kind of what, what we're going to talk about. Now, I could do an entire episode, an entire show just on Graffiti Bridge alone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the reason that why. That was your favorite, though. It, well, no, Under the Cherry Moon. Under the Cherry probably. Moon, yeah. if I had to pick one with the era. But I am not ashamed, fans out there, to tell you that I love Graffiti Bridge. I love the movie. <laughs> I love the soundtrack. I love every bit of it. And it takes such a beating in the Prince community. Yeah, it does. Okay, but why? Why do you think that is? The movie was kind of cheesy. I mean, it was. Okay. It was not Purple Rain. You know, everybody, right. he's got this great Purple Rain movie, and it was awesome. And yeah, I mean, even some of that was a lot of B acting. But um, the, all the songs and the performances were great. I think 
I don't know. He tried to act more in Graffiti Bridge. Get a you more, think so? Yeah. I don't, I don't I know. I think so. I'm going to disagree there. Here, here, here's what I think, okay? Uh, okay, first of all, I think the reason why people don't like it as much, because it really wasn't if it was marketed as Purple Rain Part Two, mm-hmm. and then instead of getting the guy on the motorcycle with a, with a puffy shirt, and you got the guy with the with the relaxed hair and all of this, all, right. whatever, I can see that being whatever. But it was not marketed as the sequel to Purple Rain. It's very loosely. It's the character of the kid. Right. The time is in it. Okay. All right. It was a very different movie, though. So I think if you really appreciated Purple Rain and, and you didn't continue to follow his music after that, it might be hard to appreciate. Okay, okay, but fair, fair enough. Okay, but here's what I think, though. I think the reason why is because if you hear the soundtrack, looking like on Purple Rain, there was a couple of, of time tracks, you know, mm-hmm. for the yeah, time. Yeah. But on Graffiti Bridge, there's like nine or ten – in songs right. other yeah, artists. and i and i love mavis staples i love tevin campbell i love the time mm-hmm. songs tevin campbell was one of my favorite ones yeah 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 but i think that when people look at it they think okay i don't want to hear all of these songs that they consider to be filler mm-hmm. okay yeah. all right and i think also it's because and again like you said the movie itself plays like one long um, one long music video. Yes, it does. It okay. Does. Yeah. You don't. You where Purple Rain actually had a story to it, and you're following him right. and his girl and all this stuff. Where it has a story to it, but it's like it's more of a music video. That's why I disagree yeah. when you said about him him doing more acting because I think he did less acting in Graffiti well, Bridge. Yeah, but I don't know. He just didn't seem as much himself in Graffiti Bridge as he did in the other one. You know, in Purple Rain, I don't know. It might even be true, but it seemed like you're getting who he is as a person a little bit. Well, see, Graffiti Bridge. You know. Okay, well, see, that's where I'm going to disagree again because <laughs> here's the deal: was that you know, Purple Rain was written by Albert Magnoli, who was mm-hmm. a, a, a script writer, first time script writer, okay, right, uh, first time director. So all of that is make believe. It is the story okay. is, okay. but the way he acts, um, because like when you see him live and when you see performances and things like that, the way he'll look and do the sideways glances, and then the way he'll um, just his personality comes through. He was that way in the movie, and he's also that way when I see him on stage. Right. So I felt like his personality came through in that movie, even though he was playing someone else. And maybe the story was someone okay. else. You could still get a bit of his personality that you really didn't see before okay. because he's so private and wasn't really sure. out that much. you know. So you really, oh, look, there's Prince. Actually, you can see him and, and hear him talk. And then when you see him perform, a lot of the same mannerisms and things sure. are there. So um, I don't know. It just seemed like he was more him. Well, but see, that's why I find that to be a contradiction was because, again, like I said, if he was reading lines that were written by somebody else and then taking direction from a third person, whereas in Graffiti Bridge, he wrote it, he directed it. That's true. And I think that's why it's – and it's also also very abstract. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's very, very abstract. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's why people can't really relate to it as much. Uh, Right. And, you know, and for those that actually that don't know, um, if you have seen Graffiti Bridge, you would see that, you know, that the, the time plays a much more, uh, the, the band plays a much more prominent role uh, in the second movie than it does in the first. Because it originally actually started out as a vehicle for the time. Since, you know, if you've ever seen Purple Rain, you know that what a scene stealer, every scene that Morris Day is in, he's such a great talent. Uh, finally saw him in the in the, the latest version of the time uh, earlier this year in Vegas for the first time. It took me all these years, but I finally did it. Um, but anyway, so Graffiti Bridge is was kind of like okay, since Purple Rain was about 
uh, the kid, you know, the princess character of the kid, the sequel will be squarely around the time. And it was also about, you know, their comeback and they were going to have a, uh, a new album coming out uh, called Corporate World that Prince had written a lot of the stuff from. And uh, so, but after a while, I guess producers and, you know, whatever the machine that was spinning that was thinking that maybe the time wouldn't be able to carry the movie. And that's when it so takes on this whole other different subtext where it's kind of back to kind of being a Prince vehicle as well. And I think that maybe that unevenness might have affected it, it as well. But uh, the reason why I wanted to mention that as well is that Finally, some of the songs they had written for this project, Corporate World, most of those songs wound up on Graffiti Bridge of the time, like uh, The Latest Fashion, Shake. Um, I think, uh, forget what else is on that. Uh, God, what is it? What's that, what's that other one? That uh, uh, Love Machine. That's what it is. I love that song. Anyway, but there was a song in, uh, on there that I think is kind of funny that was kind of relevant now and that's why i'm going to mention it. it's going to be our first song that we're going to play is um he actually wrote a song called the black version of donald trump and trust me this will be the only mention of donald trump uh in any capacity on any of any of my podcast but uh I, it just shows you what life was like then in 1990 versus what it is now because it not that it's necessarily painting a, a flattering version but it's like i think that he was thinking of Donald Trump as this kind of debonair business tycoon type, but the black version, which is, you know, very much kind of like in the vein of Morris Day and in, in that character. So the first song I'm going to play is an obscure track from the aborted corporate world time album from that eventually became the album Pandemonium. This is called Donald Trump black version.
dig somebody They stay dark Because again, because it, it, it is very you know re- repeating old stories that people have heard. Again, this is our story. Here is also why I love Graffiti Bridge so much. Because okay, uh, to those that are listening uh, that listened last week or did not, uh, we, my sister and I, grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and you were she's older than I am, but by, by six years, you were already out on your own. And so when the family moved to Texas. Whenever I was like 12, 13, you were already out on your own. Right. And I stayed there. And you stayed there and did not come down until 1990. Okay. And so from, and then between the years 1987 to 1990, again, not that I had forgotten about Prince, but I was discovering myself. I was discovering my own stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, Love Sexy was, you know, and again, I was never a big fan of the Batman uh, stuff. See last episode, uh, <laughs> once again, uh, and I was discovering myself. I was getting into, you know, I was way into metal, still am, and uh, you know, you know, and so I didn't know anything about Graffiti Bridge. I didn't know that there was a new Prince album. I didn't know that it was a sequel to Purple Rain. And you had, when you came down for good, mm-hmm. you had it. Wow, I did it twice. Yes, I turned you on to Prince twice. That's what that's I, was, funny. I didn't know that. That's what I'm trying to say. Was was yeah. that was it in 1982 whenever I'd sneak into your room and, and then you were like, you know, you don't have yeah, to sneak. That's when this. you first discovered. Yeah, right. and then and I did it again. And no, then the and then the rediscoverment of it was when you came down and you had and the album cover to Graffiti Bridge is is fantastic looking. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic looking. So it immediately drew my attention, and you know, obviously I had missed you. I hadn't seen you in a long time, and and I equate you with, you know, with our childhood and, and our Prince movies. And so here was this wonderful looking, neat <laughs> double album. So, you know, you got, so maybe, maybe if it didn't, maybe if I was like 35 in 1990 and I was some jaded, uh, you know, person, maybe right. Graffiti Bridge wouldn't hold what it holds for me. Yeah. But, you were still a kid though. But it holds so much to me as another note. I guess pun intended, a bridge between you and I. Mm-hmm. That, that's great. I never, I didn't, you've never told me that story, so I did not realize yeah. that you had kind of drifted off, and then I brought you back. Well, again, like I said, you know, I mean, I, I was aware of Love Sexy. Uh, you know, I was aware of the Batman thing, mm-hmm. but it didn't really turn me on. You know, I right. really wasn't invigorated, and I, I didn't really have you there also to enjoy it with. Uh, I was at an age where I probably would have gotten beaten up if I had, <laughs> if I, so. if I'd had, you know, if I'm carrying that around, well, love sexy, he's butt naked on the cover. Yeah. So if I'd gone to school and go, Hey guys, I'm into this <laughs> right. big time, you know, yeah. and, you know, it's also about self-discovery and everything well, else. And like I said, you were into like really hard rock at that time too. Right. And, Still you know, am. Yeah. 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 So, but that great album cover and then it, it, went on to have a total life of its own. And I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that. 
at the end because the very last song uh, that I'm going to play is actually going to be from Graffiti Bridge. So I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that. Uh, but again, uh, but there is one one more thing I wanted to mention before we move on was that um, I mentioned the other episode. You know, when I first started working with Claude Coleman Jr. and the guys in the band Ween, and how we bonded over being such big Prince fans. Well, uh, Ween has this very cult-like following in the, in a lot of the kind of the stoner college towns. Well, mm-hmm. uh, if you've never been to Asheville, North Carolina. It's kind of like what you would expect, like, you know, Portland, Oregon, or like, you know, Fort Collins, Colorado, or, you know, it's, it's kind of got, it's got, um, it's what we call the Lower East Side on a mountain, okay? Because yeah. it has that, that Lower East Side of New York kind of vibe, or just that kind of, you know, that crunchy, Grateful Dead type kind of thing happening uh, in this beautiful, well done town. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the greatest venues in, in, in America is a place called the Orange Peel, and it's there in Nashville. And we, I think we were either there or the Emerald Lounge at that time. It was with Claude's solo band, a mandala. Well, you know, during the day, I wanted to go record shopping. And I, the only copy of Graffiti Bridge I had was your old CD from 1990. We still have it with a cracked case and everything. And uh, Are you saying you stole my CD? I probably did, <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, anyway, and so I, uh, I went in there, and the guy actually had a vinyl copy of graffiti oh, wow. bridge and so let me show you the difference here if i, I was unwilling to pay eighty dollars for the ingrid chavez cd but i was completely and totally willing to buy this double album and i think i talked him down to like 50 bucks oh and wow that's he, good. he might have been like a ween fan i think i put him on the list for the show that night or, or for the mandala, yeah. for the mandala show that night and i think but i think i paid like 50 bucks for it obviously i still have it and uh so anyway so i quickly uh made uh, a copy that we could listen to in, you know, in the van. And I, you know, and I, those guys are already, you know, when it's my turn to play music, I'm always playing Prince. And so I was, uh, I remember getting in the van. And I was like, all right, guys, we're going to do Graffiti Bridge today. And they were all going, oh, God, is that that, that <laughs> god-awful Purple Rain sequel? And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, I mean, because that was really the first time where I learned that people – don't like that. Oh, really? I, I, I didn't know it. I yeah. thought everybody loved it, you know? Uh, and so that was, and so they were all like, and, I, and I'm over in my feet and I'm singing every word, completely oblivious to the people in the van and Claude going, has he lost his mind or what? <laughs> and I was like, are y'all not digging this? And they're all going, oh, wow. we're, we're trying, Roy, we're trying. So anyway, well, the music's great. The movie wasn't the best in the world. I love it all, and it means <laughs> so much to me. And I just wanted to let you and you to know that that is yet another powerful connection between wow, us that I awesome. all that I always yeah. equate with. Uh, so, so again, like we were at different ages. So, what were your memories of that? Well, um, around that time, you were into um, some heavier rock and roll than right, I was, sure, and sure. actually, you're the one that turned me on to Guns N' Roses, which is one of my favorites. That's right. That's right. So um, that's really what I remember around that time is, yeah, I was listening to Prince everywhere I went, and then Guns N' Roses. So both of those <laughs> kind of went together, which is strange, probably. But what's well, why I'm saying I couldn't tell this story without you, and I wouldn't want to. Again, I could do an entire episode just on Graffiti Bridge, but we do have to move on. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to mention this. Um, this is pretty sad. Um, uh, the next album after Graffiti Bridge, after he followed up with it, of course, was, was Diamonds and Pearls. It was right. a huge hit with the singles like Cream and Get Off and all that. I think I still have that CD at home in my, in my closet. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah. there, well, there's a song on it called Money Doesn't Matter Tonight. Yeah. Okay. And I guess I'm a sensitive person. I don't know what's wrong with me. But for me, like like just two weeks ago or three weeks ago, before Prince uh, you know, had passed away and all the sadness began, I can still be- barely listen to that song even then. I love the song, okay? But I only listen to it on special occasions. And what, okay, well, what would be the special occasion? I, I don't know what it would be, but I'm saying that like, if this was a month ago and I had put in Diamonds and Pearls, which actually, again, it's a great album. It is a great Still album. not one of my all-time favorites. It's not one of my go-tos. I think it's it's underrated a little bit. It is. It is underrated for sure. Uh, but still not one of my all-time faves. I would still, if this was a month ago, I would probably have to skip Money Doesn't Matter Tonight unless I was in the, it, right in the right mood. It, it hits me. You know, certain things just do that. It hits me in a certain way where I am. I like the way it makes me feel. At the same time, I am a puddle of, of emotions. It just kills me every time. So uh, I was thinking, so I'm going to, so I'm going to play uh, Money Doesn't Matter Tonight. It's an underrated track again from the Diamonds and Pearls. So, so if you go back and revisit it and, and it deserves to be one of those great, again, like I said, nothing is the album, but I think it was just a great track on a mediocre album. And that's why it kind of got buried. But this is a, this is a song that means as much to me as anything else in his catalog. This is Money Doesn't Matter Tonight from the Diamonds and Pearls record.
to me. It really is such a sad well, song. Well, and you know, it was on the iHeartRadio tribute. Tribute. You know, okay. I listened that when I'm in the car, and right. um, they actually played it as I was pulling up here, and I was like, you know, I haven't heard that song in so long. So that's one thing that I've really enjoyed, even though it's such a sad occasion. Yeah, right. Sure. Is I'm hearing all these songs that I, you know you kind of forget about them after yeah. a little bit of time, and and now you're hearing them all over again. Right, right. And appreciating them anew. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to hear that they actually played something again, instead of the same three songs, of course. But yeah, no, they're doing a good job. That's good. That's great. And they're playing quotes and things. And that's what's so great. Again, like I said, is that the song, I don't know. Again, this could be two months ago, three or two years ago. When I hear that song, it just kills me. I love it. I find strength in it. It makes me feel really good, but it's just so sad. And and I like, I like the sad part of it, but it, it to retain that specialness, I only allow myself to listen to it ever so often. If that makes any sense. Okay. So it's real fast. We got to, we got to keep our light, the lights on here at uh, Tricky Kid Studio. So uh, I want to take about some, some of our great proud sponsors of Tricky Kid Radio. Uh, first of all, Nikki, where can they find you on the web, by the way? Uh, Twitter at Nikki0806, which is N-I-C-K-I-0806. Okay. Awesome. And of course you can find us on Twitter at Tricky Kid and the number two. Also on Facebook at Tricky Kid Radio. Just type in Tricky Kid Radio and it'll come on up. Uh, just click like. Uh, the page and also go to iTunes, type in Tricky Kid Radio or Tricky Kid Radio Podcast, and it'll come right up. Go ahead and subscribe. It's free. Uh, you can download, stream, everything else. Episodes like this will appear each and every single Wednesday into your inbox folder, and you'll get to join us each and every single week. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is uh, everybody needs their house cleaned. Okay, so in that case, you, in, you need to go to In the Nick of Grime. Uh, just based upon, uh, you know, the name alone should get your business because if they're that creative with their, their name choosing, they're probably just as creative with their cleaning. Exactly. Uh, you're going to call Ashley Stone at 214-893-4491. And, uh, that's for in the nick of grime, uh, for all your cleaning needs. Again, call Ashley Stone at 214-893-4491. And next, uh, as you know, we also have, um, I'm all very integrated into the world of professional wrestling as a big fan as a lifelong fan where you could see me next. We're only three weeks away. Now it's May 22nd, uh, departing out of long beach, California, going to Catalina Island from the 22nd to the 26th is going to be drum roll, please. Can you be my, my drum roll this week? Okay. Is the gorgeous ladies of wrestling glow from the eighties uh, are having their very first ever fan cruise called the Afterglow Fan Cruise, and yours truly, Roy Turner is going to be doing Tricky Kid Radio there live on board with two different glow girls each and every single day, as well as on the final day, my alter ego DJ Tricky Kid is going to throw the funkiest eighties disco along with. Uh, a, a Glow Girl original MTV. Uh, did you ever watch Glow growing up? Do you no, remember, I do you remember when you remember when I watched Glow? Yes. And, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, so MTV and I are going to throw the be all end all funkiest '80s disco you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, if you want to join us, and as you should, again, you've only got three weeks to go. We're going to have a Bon Voyage party May 21st at the Queen Mary Hotel. It's, it's this great hotel. That's it's an old field Queen Mary ship that they've turned into a hotel. Right there on, on Long Beach. And uh, anyway, and so we're going to have a big Bon Voyage party. But you need to go to Go See Travel or just go to AfterglowAtSea.com and book your room today. And here's the deal. If you use the code TRICKYKID, that's T-R-I-C-K-Y. 
C-K-Y-K-I-D. You're going to get some onboard cash. You'll get a discount, and it'll lock in your reservation. Now, I think the room is only like 400 bucks. It's like nothing. You can go on a cruise for $400 with the original Glow Girls. So book your room today. Again, afterglowatsea.com. Uh, and last but not least, big announcement on Tricky Kid Radio today. IHWE uh, Wrestling on May 29th is having their big next major event called the Atomic Drop. If you go to trickykid.com right now, that's www.trickyk.com. Uh, we have a big, big, big spread on their Parade of Champions event that happened uh, a few days before WrestleMania. We had WrestleMania here in, in, here in Dallas, Texas, uh, where it's a week-long celebration of events. And uh, they kicked it off with one heck of a, of, of a night. So if you want to see pictures and stories from that, that event, it'll get you all set for May 29th. But the big, big announcement is... Guess who's going to be in the commentary booth? Who? Guess. You. Me. <laughs> that is correct. Making my commentary debut. Don't miss me getting my Jesse Ventura on, uh, my, my Bobby the Brain Heenan That's uh, thing happening. Uh, it's a lifelong dream of mine. I've been I'm so flattered that I've been, been invited to, to come be a part of that. And, well, congratulations. Well, thank you, and be part of that at that capacity. So, uh, you can tune in to IHWE TV on their YouTube channel so you can see the whole thing. Or, or if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, come see it in person. Tickets only start at $10. Uh, just go to IHWE Wrestling. Uh, they're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. Uh, and, of course, they have their own website. And, and tickets will be available at the door. It's actually going to be in Crowley, Texas at the Crowley Civic Center. Uh, there's going to be a, a fan event starting at 2 p.m. that day. Uh, I'll be there. Come meet me. Uh, and we'll get you all all set up there. Uh, we're going to be you know, talking about Tricky Kid Radio uh, a, a little bit more there at the event. But the main thing is I'm going to be in the booth do, doing commentary May 29th for the IHW Wrestling Atomic Drop. And I'll see you there. Okay. Now, uh, okay. So now there's one thing, what the main focus I want this episode to be was that now we're going to get into the live era. Because you know, you and I didn't actually see him perform live until 1997. Right. Okay, uh, but right before that, this is what I wanted. I wanted to get it at and talk about was it okay? One of the greatest things about seeing him live, other than the fact that you're seeing the greatest performer of all time, mm-hmm. with all due respect to James Brown and everybody else, you're seeing somebody that can sing and dance and this light fire to any stage that he's on in and capture anybody. I mean, you know what it's like. But one of the things for me that I love so much is that whenever you go see anybody play, they have a new album out, right? So you know you're going to you know, be hearing three or four or five maybe new songs you've never heard before in promotion of the new album. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear three to four songs they have to play. Right. Uh, and then there may maybe there might be one or two surprises. The live Prince experience, as you know, is any yeah, it's, thing you can't even describe it goes in terms of set list. Oh, and yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay, is in terms of set list, it, anything goes. We've seen him on tours where he didn't play anything off his new album, and then like two nights later, he played the whole thing or not at all. Do you see my point? Right. And he because he's got, and sure, he's got more hits than he knows what to do with. But he has no obligation to play any of them. He plays what he wants, what he feels like, and what he's inspired to do. And so there's really no such thing as a set list for him. Okay, 
And so that's what I always enjoyed about seeing Prince is that there is, you know, if you go see, you know, whatever band on their current tour and you went multiple nights, you're going to see the same show. Right. The exact same show. Right. Night after night. And I get that because they have, you know, lighting cues and mm-hmm. uh, firework cues and it has, it runs like a play. You're seeing the same play five times with Prince. You are seeing a, the most unique person putting on a one of a kind performance. I point to that specifically because I wanted to talk about this. Since we're going and kind of going in order here after the diamonds and pearls album, remember he came out with the album, I guess you would call it the love symbol album where it's just that just a symbol, the the one where he changed his name to for a while. And there's another very, uh, you know, not very well-known song. You know, the songs on that, the singles were, you know, seven. uh, I love seven. I love seven. Another one of my favorites. Sexy MF, of course. Right. Yeah. That one's great too. Uh, There was a ballad on it that I used to talk about all the time too called the morning papers. It's a great record. It tells this long, weird kind of lineage story there. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, what I'm getting at is this, is that on the very last performance, and I think it was Morris Day that posted this, on his most recent tour, his last tour, of course, where he was just doing this, just it was called Piano and a Microphone and still kicking ass, right? Okay. Well, in that setting, can you imagine in terms of anything goes? Because now he doesn't have a band that has to rehearse anything. Right. Because even when it was Anything Goes, he probably had one band that probably knew maybe like 70, 80 songs. Well, now it's just him. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And on he, on the last time he performed, he did a 7 o'clock show and a 10 o'clock show in Atlanta. Just him and the piano. And the second song of it, he just goes into it, is a song from the Love Symbol album that he may not have ever performed live before ever. You know, there wasn't a love symbol tour, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because how he would, you know, he really, he really wasn't doing a lot of touring back then. And he may do a couple one off shows. But, you know, there was a, a European Diamonds and Pearls tour that was very brief. Um, he didn't tour America from like 1988 until we saw him in, you know, in 1997, almost 10 years. And between that, he did like a Japan tour in 1990, very briefly, like 10 or 15 shows. But there was no love, no love symbol tour. So. What made him do this? He didn't do seven. He didn't do sexy MF, of course. He didn't do the morning papers, which would be perfect because he's at a piano. Right. He does a song called The Max from out of nowhere. Okay. And the reason why I talk about that is because uh, the theme of, of, of these tributes were are the songs that I have garnered the most strength from. Okay. And this is going to be very, very sad here. Okay. Because there is a line in the song that I've always have drawn such great strength from that is always has empowered me. And not in 1992 when it came out in 1993, 94, it's a song that I reference often. So if I was at that concert and suddenly he went into the max, I would have peed myself to the max. Okay. And the line is this, and this is again, this is where it's going to get sad was he says, in the second verse, he says, just to illustrate just how alive this person was, okay, is he says, they tell me to walk a straight line. I put on crooked shoes. They tell me I can't live forever, and then I pay some overdues. So whenever I, I know it sounds whatever, but whenever I'm feeling down and out and kind of weakened or I've, I've had my ego, uh, whatever, the max has been a source of strength. You tell me I can't live forever. 
and I pay some overdues. I mean, he just seemed in, immortal. And how bizarre is it that at his last performance, he plays the that Max, song, yeah. where he says, they tell me I can't live forever, and I just pay some overdues. Right. So that's why I felt like it was important uh, that I wanted to revisit from the Love Symbol album. Um, again, if you go on, I have the entire last um, Prince that performance I'm talking about mm-hmm. on our website. Uh, again, the recording is by no means, uh, you know, a professional recording. It's just some fan. It's not soundboard. At times it's difficult to listen to. Um, you know, if it's just a snapshot, if you're kind of wanting to see uh, what it sounded like that night, but it is not representative of that tour or in terms of sound quality and everything else, but it's just a, a, a neat little snippet. I'm not going to play, the, the live version from a few weeks ago. I am going to play the actual studio track. This is from 1992's The Love Symbol. This is called The Max. Now, the max is in control.
forgive me for my sins But you left me in such a cold, cold world to suffer in And contrary to popular belief Even though one's life is brief If you go there once, you come again and again and again and again Of course, that was the Max. I still can't believe they played that at the very, very last show, especially with the significant lyrics and all. Uh, from there, people will remember that after the Love Symbol album, uh, he came out with an album called Come. And this was during when he was, you know, suddenly you, know, you could see the kind of the cracks there with his relationship with Warner Brothers. And he was, you know, writing, very writing Slave on his face. And um, you might remember on the album cover to Come, it actually had a, you know, like like from 1958 to whatever year that was, kind of like retiring the name Prince, as we, of course, learn later, was is an attempt to get out of his record contract. And which he thought he had satisfied with a greatest hits record. And then by 1994, he was calling himself just a symbol, or, or this is during the artist formerly known as Prince era. And he came out with an album called The Gold Experience. It's been long out of print, and that's actually why I wanted to play this next track. Uh, people, of course, you know songs from it. They know, you know, Pussy Control, uh, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World. It was a huge hit for him uh, in 1994, uh, one of his biggest ever. But there's a track on that record that has always spoke to me, and it's a song called We March. Um, a timeless, timeless song that still holds up really, really, really well 22 years later. And since we're kind of hitting upon each era here, I'd, I would be remiss if I didn't include that because the song has meant so much to me over the years. So uh, this is the song We March from the album The Gold Experience.
not stop calling it, bitch. It will be the same one that will leave your broke ass in a ditch. You can find a better reason to call this woman otherwise. Don't cry to make the bed in which you lie. Now's the time. disc album called emancipation right okay and it was three disc primarily of just like a lot of like ballads it was the first time he ever actually had released an album that had covers on it you remember how he did john osborne's one of us do you remember right you remember this? yes such a good version and uh he did like uh, the stylistics betcha by golly wow there was a lot of covers on that and but one of the songs was also an original, very funky called the Jam of the Year. And that was what the tour was called, was it was called Jam of the Year. And you remember we were like on the tenth row. We were and we got down there. What are your memories from that concert? You know, it's the best concert I've ever been to, for one thing. And I don't think you can really experience Prince completely unless you see him live. And I didn't know that until I saw him live, you know, because you can't tell someone that they have to actually see it for themselves. And so when you go and then you're seeing this concert and like you said, 
you don't know everything he's going to play. Uh, and right. then he's played all these different songs. And even the ones you don't know, you know, sometimes a band will play a song you don't know and you get a little bored for a second and then they get back into something, you know, and you're back into it. Right. You, there's no boredom whatsoever at one of his shows yeah. ever. It's like, he's all over the place. Every song has you up dancing and even the ballads, you don't want to sit down. You're still, you know, listening and, and yeah. playing to the music. And it's just the most entertaining thing I think I've ever seen is yeah. Trent's love. Totally. Uh, in any form of entertainment and what's interesting about that too is because he, he, he doesn't stop it's not like you know like he comes on and he does a song and then the band you know kind of like you know crescendos down uh -huh. and it's like somebody flicked the print switch which is you know again is in tribute or i guess in lineage to george Par uh, clinton and parliament funkadelic because that's how they perform yeah there's no stopping once i'm right. on there's it's the like momentum. a big jam session and he just keeps going he just keeps yeah. rocking right uh, but what's interesting about that perspective is that now that was 1997. So we'd had 15 years. Mm -hmm. We, if, if we point to 82 as our starting point, by this point, you know, I'm now of legal drinking age. Uh, we've had 15 years. We've heard the legend. We've seen the movies. No two people were more ready for that concert than you and I. Right. But uh, still shocked by it. But still completely shocked yeah. by it. Now, one of the great Prince legends, as you know, is how he'll do the big show and then he'll do, he'll show up somewhere else around town. Right. And, and, and I didn't, again, this is pre-internet guys. So I didn't know if that was, you know, BS yeah, is that real or, uh, or, and how would you know about it and everything else? And so remember how we had gotten tipped off that it was going to be in either one of two places. It was either going to be at the, the old Bronco bowl. that's not here anymore mm -hmm. or this, unfathomably tiny little club. And it's not here anymore. Also off of Greenville Avenue in Dallas called the Iguana Mirage. And remember how we went to the Bronco bowl. Yeah. Remember? And it was like tumbleweed. Like, right. Scrolling. It's like, well, this isn't the right place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. This is not happening or, or it's super secret. <laughs> yeah. It's underground or something. Right. And then we went over to the Guana Mirage and you remember that like when we got there and it was, and remember when we pulled up, the guy goes, do you know what's happening here tonight? Do you know why you're here? You know, yeah. and I was like, act like, you know, you know, and, you <laughs> I was know. Like, yes, we know. Yeah. Because you were driving. And uh, and then if you remember, I'd had I'd had some I forget. I mean, I have like some kind of I don't remember. I was just starting a media at that time. And but you, you went, had some kind of a press. I had so, some kind of pass. Yeah. Right. It and, wasn't really for that place. But no, no. <laughs> yeah. But it was for the previous event, I think, or, yeah. the, or the Prince event or something. I, 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 I was just starting. I guess I guess I'd been doing it about two years at that time, I guess. Yeah. Right. And so we we get in. Keep on, it's already like, you know, one o'clock in the morning. The band comes yeah, out. Yeah, we've already been to a concert. Yeah, it's yeah. one o'clock in the morning. The band starts jamming in this tiny little nothing club tiny. that doesn't normally have live music. No, it was, I think it was a little dance floor or something right. that he was on. Yeah. One of those, like, with the rail around it. Like, yeah. Yeah. It had, like, uh -huh. a little elevator, like, where the DJ would be, like, yeah. when I DJ. Uh-huh. And the band was jamming, and he just very slyly walks out. And you and I were the very front. Yeah, remember this? I do. And there he was, and they were jamming on an old Slime and Family Stone, uh, Family Stone track, um, and uh, and I just it was a song called Stand, if you know it. And I, I'll I'll never forget that he was just he was right in front of us. He was standing right in front of us. Yeah. And it wasn't about the hits. It was just about jamming. But then remember he did like, but he did do some obscure stuff. He did erotic city. Remember mm -hmm. he did. She's always in my hair and little bits and pieces of that. And, 
and again, for me, it was like that was the culmination of 15 years of us as our, you know, like I couldn't imagine of being there without you and telling you about it later. Right. Or vice versa, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you go to the concert and you're tired and you're like, are we really going to run all over town, try to find this place? And we don't know really where it's even going to be. But once we got there and we were in and we're like, oh my gosh, we found it. We're here. Well, yeah. And he's right there. And his wife was sitting off to the side against the rail. And it was just, you felt like you were just part of his his entourage there because you were just so close to him and and he's right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were like, we had accomplished something that we had didn't have the slightest idea no. that we would ever act. It was fun to try. Yeah, and we it was thought, an adventure we were just going to try to do. And we thought, hey, you know, on the way home, we'd be going, well, at least we tried. Right. But and, instead, we're looking at each other with wide eyes like, oh, my God, we did it. Was three feet in front of us. And you're right. I'd forgotten that Maite was mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, she was right next to him. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. I'd, I'd see. Uh-huh. Look at you with a memory there. Okay. Well, so, but during that period, like as if three, like a triple album wasn't enough, a lot of people don't realize that there was actually going to be a fourth disc to the Emancipation set. And uh, in one of the songs that are from that is a song called I Am the DJ. And I wanted to talk about that just, just for a little bit before I play it was that, you know, he largely rejected hip hop and rap, which was kind of, which kind of polarized the African American community because. They look at them as, uh, you know, the, the hip hop community is, you know, is representative mm-hmm. entirely. So to have a prominent member of the African American community kind of reject that was kind of polarizing. Uh, and I think it was because his issue was that he's a musician, he does live instrumentation. Okay, they do not. Therefore, it's not real, you know. And and never one to shy away from his from his opinions, of course. Uh, but what he started getting into around this time, which was what a, what a lot of America got started getting into, already had been huge for years in the UK and and in underground in places like Detroit and Chicago was house music and, and te- what they were calling techno music at the mm-hmm. time. And I just started DJing myself around that time. And uh, so the song, if you, it's kind of like on one hand, it's kind of like MC Hammer when he was trying to sound hard. <laughs> it's like, here's Prince trying to kind of be a part of that a little bit. But the song is no less freaking awesome. But it's just, it's a great snapshot, again, of, uh, of you know, where he was at, what the music scene was like at the time. Because what he would do is he would go to clubs. He, he owned clubs. And what he would do is he would, he would give the DJ like some new track instead of like sending it to the record company. And then three months later they put it on the radio and do people like it. He's like, here's what I'll do. He would sneak to like his club called glam slam there in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. uh, And he would sneak the, he'd have somebody hand it off to the DJ with no warning. The people didn't know what they were going to be hearing. And then he would put it on the DJ would. And then Prince would be way up in the balcony somewhere watching watching people's reactions, judging what they like, which hook did they react to the most? What made them get under the dance wow. floor? Bef- then he would go back to the lab and cook up some more medicine. Mm-hmm. And so this song is kind of a representative of kind of where he was at with that. This is a song called I am the DJ again, completely un- unreleased. It's, it's just something you would have to have got by, being around and and trading tapes uh, that I've done for a very, very, very long time. So this is from the emancipation era. 
Okay, and would have been on that album if there had, if it had been four albums, four records, so like three wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is I Am The DJ.
you know, to jog your memory a little bit, uh, there was a few other different things because after that, it, that tour came back uh, the following year to Reunion Arena, if you remember, in 1998. Uh, and Larry Graham, who he was really under the uh, his spell spiritually and kind of looking for that kind of spiritual growth um, at that time. Anyway, so moving on in terms of like the live era and the, and the live experiences that we had. Uh, he had done a record with just as the new power generation called the new power soul, uh, which was pretty cool. And, but it wasn't until 1999 somewhat appropriately that he returned back to calling himself Prince. He kind of reclaimed his name and, uh, and they came out with an album, um, called Raven to the joy. Fantastic. And, um, if you remember, if you've ever seen, of course, you've ever seen purple rain in that one scene, you know, that one scene where, uh, he starts, he's reacting to his father's, you know, suicide and very, very powerful scene. And he starts trashing the basement and everything else. And what he finds is this cachet, this stash of like music because his dad had claimed he had never, he never wrote anything down. And what he found out that was not the case. He had written them all down. And if you look at some of the music sheets at the top, there was one called Raven to the Joy Fantastic. So that was in Prince's mind all the way back in 1984. So here it is 15 years later in 1999. He comes out with the album Raven to the Joy Fantastic. Unfortunately, it was a total misfire. It was weird that he kind of ended his, you know, you know, the, the century, the decade and his namesake kind of Y2K phobia that put him on the map in the first place with such a subpar record, which was uh, very interesting. He had he had joined up with Clive Davis. He was very much adrift in terms of his professional handlings. And uh, and Clive Davis had kind of turned uh, Carlos Santana's career around around that time with um, an album called Supernatural. But the 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 antics the antics was to uh, put a, a guest star on every single one of the tracks, and that's that's just not Prince. Prince is Prince. Sure, he loves writing music for other people, but in terms of collaboration, those are still Prince songs. And so suddenly he's, you know, doing Sheryl Crow covers and uh, and doing songs with Gwen Stefani. And, and, and no disrespect to any of those people, but it's just it's just not a Prince project. So uh, it was interesting that he had reclaimed Raven of the Joy Fantastic and to see it become this um, Clive Davis uh, commercial thing was just really uh, it was disappointing. It was probably the most disappointed I, I had been at that point uh, or maybe ever, maybe even for the first time. Uh, so I'm not going to play any, anything off of, off of that record, but what I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of go back to end this segment. Uh, Cause it looks like we're going to have to come back and do a part three because we've got so much to do and so much to talk about uh, next week. But the thing I really wanted to discuss and talk about was actually to go back to where we started was with graffiti bridge. Like I said, I could do, an entire episode on just how much that movie and that soundtrack has meant to me, which I'm probably the only one in the world. And again, it takes a huge beating in the, in the, in the Prince community. But uh, the last song I'm going to play when the show opened, I didn't play my normal song. I played uh, a song called uh, bits and pieces of a song called joy and repetition from uh, graffiti bridge. So I want to end with, since we're ending the nineties and we're ending the segment, I'm going to end it actually where the nineties began. There's a song off the album called Steel Would Stand All Time that dates back as far back as uh, 87. 
uh, actually whenever he was doing some warm-up shows for the Sound of the Times tour, uh, an early version of the song appears uh, at, a, at a live show he had done in a very, very different form. But I could not illustrate to you or over or just even exaggerate the importance uh, that this song has had in my life and, and the, the strength that I've drawn from it. Uh, if you've ever seen the film, it comes at the, at the end of the film is, is a, a, a time of redemption, a time of reclamation. It's all that he can do. And he just kind of lays it all on the line. There's a line in it where he says, you better turn to the light and leave your past behind because it's the steel that would stand all time. I can't tell you how many times over the years, whenever I have felt down and blue and times of no money and no chicks and no nothing. Uh, Graffiti Bridge has always held this place for me where I would only like really let myself listen to it or let myself watch it when I needed it the most. That's kind of been the hardest part of all this has been is I don't know what narrative that will take on because right now I, I couldn't imagine watching it. But uh, so I wanted to end this portion uh, with the song uh, "Steel That Would Stand All Time." Uh, we're going to have some final thoughts here, and then uh, I'll, I'll leave you with that with that track. Wanted to thank all of you for joining us again this week for a special edition of Tricky Kid Radio. Again, I'm Roy Turner. Uh, for my host and my special uh, co-host this week, my sister Nikki, uh, you can find Nikki on Twitter at the at symbol and uh, Nikki0806. Uh, that's N-I-C-K-I-0806. Uh, of course, you can find us uh, on uh, the webs there at uh, trickykid.com. That's T-R-I-C-K-Y-K-I-D. Uh, dot com. There's a hyphen between Tricky and Kid. Uh, if you go on Facebook, again, just type in Tricky Kid Radio. It'll come up there. We appreciate you liking the page. And if you want to go to iTunes, just type in Tricky Kid Radio or Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. It's free to subscribe. It'll show up in your uh, iTunes folder each and every single week with episodes just like this. And we thank you again for uh, for joining us for such a special edition. Uh, and again, we're going to be back with, with uh, our third and, and, and uh, for now, I should say, uh, final um, tribute here. This little trilogy that we've um, have put together that we've uh, you know wanted to, to do to make it so much special for us and for the fans and and for all you listeners. And we really appreciate all the positive feedback that we've been getting about it. And I hope you've, you've enjoyed the songs and maybe getting to hear some things you never heard before and maybe learned a few things. So thank you again for joining us. And again, um, we're going to end here with uh, from the Graffiti Bridge album, Still That Will Stand All Time. We'll see you next week.
Behind. All things will be 